And we're live. Well, we're technically recording. Hello, and welcome to the long-awaited sequel to Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. I've got Noah with me and a special guest, Adam, from Red 5 Reviews and Bryant VRM and a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> I, I just want to say right, right of, I just want to say right off the bat, this stream, it took as long as no time to die to finally come out. <laughs> Less time than that. No, well, actually, I take that back. It took longer because no time to die has been done for two years. <laughs> it's just yeah. sad. We haven't even started this until now. Um, so for those of you who don't know, we tried to do an in-between episode while I was between houses on a Colonel Sun, which had horrible audio, and I apologize for that. So we will record re-record that at some point because that book's awesome. Um, we'll probably uh, we might snag put that somewhere in the Moore era. We I have a feeling we're gonna need a break <laughs> in between Moore films, um, but. Let's talk about the the odd one of the classic Bond era. For me, classic Bond is up until Dalton. Dalton's when things start to get modern. Yeah. Um, That's when um, Cubby Broccoli left and his daughter Barbara took over. Yeah. Um, but this, this is a weird one. So... By the time You Only Live Twice came out, Sean Connery was done with Bond. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, during when you only not you only live twice. I get them mixed up. Okay, because we're we're in the middle of the Blofeld trilogy, but we're also at the end of the Blofeld trilogy, kind of. Well, we have two more Blofeld appearances. After oh, that's this. And after this, but I mean, like, the the movies are a mess at this point with um, continuity, and this movie is the weirdest of all that. Yeah, because this movie creates the biggest continuity error, but it's also like the biggest piece of continuity that they keep on referen referencing later on. But only some of it. Yeah, some of it. Um, so, oh God, we get to so this book, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, is the first one that's written during the filming of the Bond films, because this brings up Bond's Scottish heritage for the first time, because they were ca they cast Sean Connery, which Fleming infamously said he was way too tall and looked like a gorilla or something like that. Like he was a giant ape. <laughs> Couldn't play Bond because he was Scottish. But he ended up seeing Dr. No and just loved his performance and retconned Bond into being Scottish, which this is the only time it actually makes sense to bring it up because they bring it up and you only live twice a bunch and Man with the Golden Gun quite a bit, and it serves no purpose. And we'll get to that. But unfortunately, since Sean Connery left, they got George Lazenby. Well, first they wanted Timothy Dalton. 
Timothy Dalton said no, he was too young. They couldn't get Roger Moore because Roger Moore was under contract for a TV show still uh, because they technically wanted Roger Moore before they got Sean Connery, I do believe. So they went through a lot of people. They got George Lazenby, an Australian model, not really an actor, um, who found out, according to Lazenby, and I've only ever heard this from him and fairly recently, and we're gonna get we're gonna get that explicit tag right now. He was having a threesome with this couple, and the dude told him that they were looking for a new bond and that he should try out for it. So Lazenby made up a bunch of stuff when he went to this like the uh, the test performance or whatever, and said that he'd been in all these like Turkish and Ukrainian films that they couldn't reference. <laughs> And basically, they found out that he had lied, and they thought his acting was so good, they gave him the part anyway. Which I think is so funny, and it's more... It, it's it's a lot more interesting than some of this movie is. But um, this book is at a weird crossroads for Bond's character, more so than it is in the movie. Um, this brings up just just weirdness. Bond's just a different character in this book, and I don't like it. I don't like mm -hmm. it at all. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, Bond, oh god, in the movie he saves this girl who turns out to be our main Bond girl from drowning and killing herself. And right away we realize that we don't have Sean Connery anymore. We have a man who can't fight. So they have to edit around it. Which is funny because what you just talked about with Lazenby's backstory, how he got the part. Mm -hmm. One thing I have heard is like they did like a test fight with someone else. And Lazenby, he didn't know how to like fake fight like yes. in movies. And he actually broke the guy's nose. And they <laughs> yeah. were like, this is raw energy. This yeah. is the actor we want. <laughs> So I, I have this story because when am I ever going to tell this story? After Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Bruce Lee wanted to do a film with George Lazenby. And they actually were going ahead and doing it. And Bruce Lee died. Oh, geez. Yeah, that was a whole thing. <laughs> Bruce Lee, got, he got Bruce Lee's attention. I don't know why, because, oh, my God, the editing in this movie, not just in the fighting but in general, is bizarre. You yeah. know who did the editing? Who? John Glenn. Did he really? Yes, future Bond film director. <sighs> yeah, I noticed during my rewatch that some of these uh, effects were definitely dated. <laughs> yeah, um, but in the book, he he's in France in the book, correct? He's actually, because he's reminiscing on Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. In the beginning. That's, that's the great thing in the book. He's like at the Casino Royale. We be, we get a little flashback with, you know, Vespa. He's visiting her grave, actually. Oh, that's and right. Then, yeah, and that's when he meets Tracy. Yes. And they they either hook up at that point or the gambling game happens. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the interesting thing. Because the first few chapters of the book, it's not in chronological order. We no. start where the movie starts. But that's not the first time Bond and Tracy met. First time they meet in the casino, 
-hmm. and they sleep, you know, together. Yeah. And then, and then there's the scene with on the on the beach. But the movie they just did it, you know. Yeah, well, we, the movie's too focused on trying to disguise that it isn't Sean Connery. Yeah, they even did, like, for the first time that I recall, broke the fourth wall with Lazenby saying, this never happened to the other guy, <laughs> you know? Looking oh, directly God. into the camera? That's yeah. so horrible. Like, <laughs> I knew it was coming, too, because that's always weirded me out. But, like, uh, it's not funny. Yeah, I mean, they did it just to be like, Okay, this is not Sean, but please give him a chance. Like it's, they were, they were worried. Uh, yeah, they should have been. This is the second lowest-grossing Bond film. Not to say it bombed, but it's the lowest-grossing of the front. Uh, not the lowest-grossing. It's the second lowest. I think Die Another Day is the lowest-grossing. Didn't Die Another Day make a bunch of money? They all. I know. When I say they're their lowest-grossing. There has never been a flop Bond film. And we should say, License to Kill did not flop. Because that's no. a big misconception. It made a lot of money. It just didn't make the amount that they wanted. Yeah. They didn't make a, the amount of money Living Daylights made. I do like, though, how in this novel that they referenced uh, a future Brosnan film, The World is Not Enough, which is supposed to be Bond's family's uh, motto. Oh yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that because uh, I mean, I kind of want to save some of that for the world is not enough, but it's gonna be a long time till we get to that. But um, so Bond basically to skip ahead a bit, he's basically saved this woman from killing herself. She's horribly depressed. She had her husband left her, and she lost a child. At least I think that's how it happens yep. in the book. In the movie, it's been just a huge scandal happened because they couldn't, they wouldn't go that far. They could have. It was, this is the first and only uh, new Hollywood Bond film. And I'll get to that in a bit with the tone and how, how dark and how upfront brutal because Bond films have all been kind of brutal up until this point. But this one in particular is very violent at times and kind of graphic. Um, it's closest they've gotten so far to the book's tone. Which we should say, with how much this movie differs from the book, it's one of the best adaptations of one of the novels. That's Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I agree. I've noticed that it was out of all the Bond films, like you just said, like as I was reading, it's like, wow, they, you know, did the novel uh, pretty good justice. I think it was more like a passion project for the director, Peter Hunt, who we should also mention. Peter Hunt was the editor for the first Sean Connery movies up until, yeah, you only live twice. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, so basically Bond is, meets Tracy's, father and tracy's father in both the book and the film wants bond to marry her for her mental health and i'm going to level with you guys i hate tracy's father in the book oh he is blatantly a rapist blatantly and is just does not care 
he basically kidnapped Tracy's mother and she I guess got Stockholm syndrome and they they have a child together and then she died which they don't they don't say in the movie cuz that's not acceptable that's a Fleming disgusting thing that Fleming did but like I he He's interesting. He reminds me a lot of a shittier version of what's his face from Karen uh, Bay. Karen Bay is also a rapist, just so you know. That's true. That's He's still true. extremely likable. But yeah, I don't get that on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and I think it has to do with the tone. Is Bond doesn't want anything really to do with her. He thinks she's attractive, but she he he's like, marriage isn't for me. I I'm I'm in the Secret Service. I I go to basically doomed missions and survive. Like that's my thing. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I. But like in the movie, I get it more. This is one positive for the movie. They have a beautiful montage of Tracy and Bond falling in love. Yeah, which is what I. Okay. Yeah, which is what I wanted to mention. I think. I love the book, just so we clear, and I also love the film. And I think the movie improves upon some elements of the book, like yeah. the romance, for example. There is no romance in the book. That's my that's my thing. They, it, it, we'll get to when Bond officially decides that he's going to go through with marrying her in the book because it's just bizarre, and. It, it, it's like Fleming had just didn't know what to do. Which we should talk about because, yeah, the whole Fleming and getting married, it was some personal stuff of his that he wanted to incorporate here. So, oh, okay. So, in re- the way Tracy's father gets Bond to th- think about marrying his daughter is that he has information on where Blofeld is. In the book, they've been searching for Blofeld for a while after the whole Thunderball thing happened. Yeah, it was in fact, like eight. In Spy Who Loved Me, there's a failed attempt to try to find Spectre. Um, which we should mention because, you know, that's the only thing that ties Spy Who Loved Me into the Bond, <laughs> rest of the Bond books. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, that he's hunting Spectre in that. But it's like one, a one-off sentence. Or no, actually, it's a paragraph because he goes on to explain what happened in Thunderball, and it makes you wish you were reading Thunderball. <laughs> and then he, yeah, <laughs> and he and he tells about how he searched for this, you know, maybe this, this Spectre agent, and then you realize, oh, I would like to read that story instead of Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, but nope, we get more Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Anyway, so Bond basically goes to, to M with this that he has. Well, in the movie, he's pulled off of the uh, um, operation yeah, is, in Bedlam, I think. Yeah, exactly. Which is one of the bigger differences, which I found interesting. Because in the book, Bond wants to resign because he's like, like my talent is wasted just hunting Blofeld. He's probably dead. Yeah. Like, there's no way Spectre is a threat anymore. Whereas in the movie, he's like, No, sir, you can't just you know take this away from me. I want to catch Blofeld. 
I also like that in the book, he doesn't actually attempt to resign. He just has a, a letter written out, but in the actual, in the actual film, he actually does attempt to resign, but uh, money which penny is, stops him. Yeah. Which is, which the is first, the this is the first time though, that you start to notice that this would be better if Sean Connery were in there. I heavily disagree. Really? Why? Yeah, I think Sean Connery, people say, oh, Sean Connery and Majesties, that would have made a movie better. You remember how Connery was at this point in time? That's true. But I mean, if they had done this in the correct order. Oh, then it would have worked, maybe, if they did it right after Thunderball, which was the original plan, by the way. Yes. And we've talked we talked about that in the last episode. They couldn't they couldn't get it hadn't snowed yet and they couldn't film it. They didn't want to bring in a bunch of artificial snow. So let's just do the third book in a trilogy instead of like a standalone. Why don't we just do Diamonds Are Forever at that point? Take a break from Spectre again? Nope. No. Right to the end. But anyway, so so Money Penny in the movie basically gives Bond two weeks of vacation which in those two weeks he falls in love with Tracy, kind of. Well, she falls in love with him. She's not sure if he's in love with her, but it's pretty clear in the movie that he's pretty, pretty, he's kind of very into her. And I say kind of very because we're going to get to some, some bond. Some, yeah. <laughs> which, by the way, she carries this movie. Diana Rick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They specifically choose her because when they found out Lazenby has no acting experience, they were like, okay, everything else in this movie needs to be perfect to uh-huh. make up for Lazenby, just in case his performance is really bad. Which I just want to mention, I'm not a Lazenby hater. I think he's he does a decent job, I think. If he like, had I, another movie, I think we would have seen him shine more. Mm-hmm. Because- I mean, he did have one more Bond thing. He had like an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the 80s called, what was it called? Diamonds Aren't Forever, where he basically played Bond, but they just call him James because they would get sued by Eon. And He also has a sort of role as M in the John Stamos vanity uh, Gene Simmons movie, Never Too Young to Die, which was on the first episode of Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst. He is in that because he was the cheapest Bond to get. (laughs) (laughs) They also at first tried to get him for Never Say Never Again, which would have been awesome instead of Sean Connery getting a second Lazenby performance. Yeah, that would have been different. I, I'm still of the opinion that I really I think Sean Connery's acting in Never Say Never Again is the best part of that movie. Yeah. Because he actually is trying for the first time in years. After uh, rewatching this film today, I noticed uh, George Lazenby's the uh, the more chatty of all the Bonds. Like, and oh, oh, you haven't watched enough Roger Moore yet. I've I've seen those films a long time ago. I've been rewatching them, but uh, so far, from what I've uh, rewatched, like he's the most chatty. He's also the one that smiles the most. Like he's always just like yeah, he 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 does chat, but he, he's not he's not like Roger Moore. Roger Moore talks himself out of things a lot more. That that that's something we'll get to soon. 
with Roger Moore's take on Bond as opposed to anyone else's take on Bond. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, it, it comes from Roger Moore didn't like Fleming. He didn't like Fleming's uh, books. But I digress. Uh, with uh, So Bond gets... I don't even remember how this plays out in the book. Hmm. I, I know we get to the the coat of arms people. The, the what are they called? Oh yeah, um, it's 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 the I think it's the coat of arms. Uh, yeah, where they they look up people's heritage because Blofeld is claiming that he's a count. And oh yeah. He, he has this thing in Switzerland, I do believe. It's in the Alps. Which mm-hmm. um, is super beautiful. And this movie doesn't shy away from how beautiful the Alps are. Yeah, uh, Noah actually sent me a link earlier before we recorded that um, uh, the, uh, the studio actually purchased that... Uh, that building out in the the mountains just and finish paying it off. So that way, just so they can film there. Yeah. Because Pitts Gloria, as it's called in the book, the movie and in real life now, um, it was a restaurant and it was just like getting constructed while they were about to film. And they came in and they said, well, this is awesome, but it's not finished. So they were like, okay, we're going to pay you like setting it all up out of our own pocket. And then we can film in here. That explains why it looks like a building and not a set. Oh, yeah, because there's, it certain, there's certain parts of it that are sets. But, but I was going to uh, say the coat of arms scene in the book was, you know, amusing at first. Yes. But near, it was amusing at first. But I was just like, I was like, okay, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, know. because we have this irritating character. Yeah, I know. Irritating character bonds clearly annoyed and complaining inner monologue complaining about it. And in the movie, it's short and sweet to the point. Although they bring up the world is not enough, which became a very terrible Bond movie that has some actual Honor Majesty sort of moments in it. Oh, um, intermixed with a with a Bond villain who has a bullet in his brain and he's like invincible. Yeah, and, we get a reference to Tracy. And Denise Richards was cast as a nuclear. Uh, was she like a nuclear? Physician? She, she. I think she called herself a nuclear psychiatrist. And she, she, she's literally. She can't act. She says all these the science jargon and can't pronounce half of it. <laughs> it's a horrible movie where Bond swims way too deep underwater for way too long. What he died. turns into Aquaman. About to say. <laughs> yeah, he, he turns into Aquaman. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's the beginning of the dumb era of Bond that we're unfortunately still kind of stuck in, where it has to be gigantic for no reason. Thankfully, this movie is not that. <laughs> but um, basically, Bond is taking the identity of Sir Hilary Bray. And this brings out the Scottish style, uh, side of Bond. Oh, yes. With his uh, costume and everything. Which oh, I actually God. like. Like, I don't I don't mind it. 
It's not played as a complete joke. I was going to say, after rewatching that, I'm just like, this is basically, they're trying to do some type of Clark Kent type stuff. Where I'm just like, I was just like, okay, come on, just like blow, like, like Blofeld clearly knows what Bond looks like. And I'm just like, I, I mean, you could disguise your voice all you want, but I'm just like, Blofeld would have picked But he had glasses on. And he, I think he doesn't put makeup on. No, not in the but film, but that's oh, the interesting cool. thing. No, in the book, no. Oh, really? Okay. But that's the interesting thing with continuity, which we yeah. should talk about. Well, well, in the book, it works because Bond and Blofeld have never seen one another. Right, right. Because the first Spectre story was Thunderball, which is basically the same as the movie. That's the good thing. Like the first couple of Sean Connery films, pretty accurate to the books. Yeah. This would have worked if it was right after Thunderball. Yes. Um, but they did but, You Only Live Twice, and they changed a lot of stuff, and Bond and Blofeld already met each other. Yeah, and that's they fought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which people like, they like to point out, and it's, I'm not allowed to swear, but it's dumb. They say, oh, Blofeld didn't recognize Bond in this movie. Because in You Only Live Twice, he was in his Japanese disguise. No, he wasn't. He wasn't at that point. He just looked like Sean Connery. There was no makeup left on him. No, that's from the book where he looks... He still looks Japanese, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. Which, by the way, I, I still want to point out... I pointed out in the last episode... Sean Connery's way too tall. He doesn't look Japanese. Even if you do some racist sort of makeup, he still looks like Sean Connery and Scottish. And it's, he talks like Sean Connery. I know. Yeah, but... I, I mean, I'm glad because I don't, I don't want to hate that movie any more than I already do. But, oh God. So... Bond goes to, I can't remember what it's called now. Pitts Gloria? Pitts Gloria. He's met by, um, God, I always Uh, want to call her Rosa but (laughs) One of the best henchmen, I would say, Irma Bund. Irma Bund. Bund, yeah. Um, Who, best cast, what a great casting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's some of the, that's one of, like, three really good casting choices. Where it's like, okay, this is like Pitch Perfect, the character from the book. Yes. She's the most accurate to the book, I will say. Um, and then we meet we meet Blofeld. Played by Telly Sabellis. Sabellis, yeah. My, one of my favorite Blofelds. Absolutely. He was the more laid back of the Blofelds because like when we got Donald Pleasance, like Donald Pleasance kept making like these weird faces like my name is Elstevo Blofeld. And I was just like and he like keeps getting in Sean Connery's face and everything like that. It's like it and, he does, be- and he does the fake German accent. <laughs> it's like it won't be the nicotine that kills you, Mr. Bond. And I'm like like this guy's creeping me out. <laughs> but, like, like how he acts in the later Halloween movies he's in. That's like a crazy person. And it's just like <laughs> But I mean, I mean, without it, we wouldn't have gotten Doctor Evil. But you know, but uh, it's just I like that Telly Savellis in the second one. You know, he's actually I found him to be a little bit more uh, 
like conniving and diabolical than uh, like because he actually, you know, he would sit there and he would like, you know, and he seems more intelligent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's way more believable, and which I like. He gets his hands dirty, like he just he didn't just sit behind his desk. Yeah, because I remember, uh, I think I was re remember reading in Thunderball, like they made a reference that I think Blofeld actually is a trained fighter. Like, wasn't he like a weightlifter or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. I thought he was like a, a boxer or a, and he he, was... he, had, he had let himself go <laughs> a, little <bit. laughs> a little bit, and he he was like reflecting on that in the meeting before he electrocutes that dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh. It's still though. It was. I like the. Uh, they even point out, like in the film, that like, like how obvious their attempt of disguises are. It's just like you know, just a pair of glasses. You know, I can't, like, can't convince me that you're not James Bond. And then you know, he retaliates by saying, like, you know, cutting off your earlobes that, you know, doesn't make any look any less like Blofeld. You know? Yeah, when he talks with his real voice again, and it's. I oh, want we to... have to talk about how George Lazenby's dubbed. Okay. Okay, I was wondering, was he actually was he actually Oh no, dubbed? that's another actor. George Lazenby's Australian and cannot do a Scottish accent. I was about to say just... But the dub in this film, like with a lot of the other early Bond films, a lot of stuff doesn't match up. It's kind of sloppy. But specifically with George Lazenby, like he just couldn't be he he just wasn't good enough of an actor at that time to be dubbed back in accurately it's especially in the beginning the beginning fight he's it's weird editing and bad dub they made um there's like this scene where when they're going I, i'm jumping a little bit i'll just say that like you know uh when he's as posing as sir hillary bray he makes a reference saying like he's like oh guns make me nervous and then later when he says it again after he shoots a guy like you hear him say guns make me nervous but you don't see george lazaby's mouth move at all like i just noticed that today like he just takes yeah. this guy's gun like you don't see his mouth move but you hear him say you hear him say like guns make me nervous yeah oh yeah oh yeah Ugh. At first, I legitimately thought that that was like uh, George Lazenby speaking. I was just like, I was like, I was like, okay, that's actually not a bad, you know, voice change. But it, it kind of makes sense more that you mentioned that he's dubbed. Yeah. So, all right, we gotta get into it. All of the women, the, all all the women that are in this, in both the book and the film, that have weird allergies, because Blofeld has like used hypnosis to get rid of their allergies so they can poison the livestock and crops so he could be an evil person <laughs> and hold the world hostage again. It's so far-fetched and bizarre when you look at all the Fleming books. It's such... it. I mean, it's not as weird as You Only Live Twice where he's convincing the Japanese people to kill themselves in his garden of death. But well, like, that was intentionally, like surreal and stuff yeah and he's crazy yeah he he's full on crazy in, in the third book yeah but in this it's just so weird i mean i don't know it is when you get down to it a out there concept like it's crazy but they treat it seriously enough i think yeah i 
at the end it's like biological warfare i think they call it in the book yeah yeah and the book the book deals more with it than the movie <laughs> seems to the movie seems to like it, it it's a catalyst yes but it doesn't amount to a lot at least well, that's what i got in my last view of this but well, one difference is uh, in the book it's only affecting britain Whereas in the movie, Blofeld yeah, is trying to spread the virus in the entire world. Which, that is the thing I wanted to mention, because I noticed it in the book this time. Um, the operation to catch Blofeld when he's posing as the Count, it's called Operation Corona. Oh. Oh, oh. I, forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> Got him. Oh, too soon. Mm. Anyway, I see Fleming was ahead of his time. So Bond, I Bond is just he starts getting into his Bond shenanigans with women in this, which is fun. I will say, I, I, because, I love it because at first it seems like I think this was an intentional joke because the women seem to think that Sir Hilary Bray is gay. Yes, especially in the movie. I thought it was in the movie they were, he was, well, no, never mind. Yeah, uh, I thought it was like he, they were making that he was abstinent, but uh, but no, they do actually. I know what he's allergic to. Was <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah, then they actually point out that they were like, oh, well, I thought you didn't like girls. And he uses the same pickup line on two women. So In a row. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I made a note of that. I just thought it was hilarious that like, you know, he... Like one minute we see him falling in love with Tracy, and then like ten minutes later into the film, he hooks up with two girls, and then later, you know, like he's like, "Will you marry me?" You know. Well, hey, hey, when Tracy comes back, it's one of the best shots in all of the the whole franchise. It, the composition's so so classic. Like it's the one, sh it's one of a few shots from this film that I that is always stuck in my mind because. The composition alone is just really. I, I, speaking of this, I think this is probably the most beautiful looking Bond film. Up until this point, definitely. And yes. later on. Yes. Because um, there's so much stuff in here I remember, like in the opening, when we get the reveal of Lazenby. At first, when he's driving, when he's smoking, and it just looks amazing. Yeah, there's some great shot composition. I will say, License to Kill is a good looking film. License Kills a good-looking film, and Skyfall's a good-looking film. I actually, this is one of my favorite in Bond soundtracks. Like, I love the theme. Oh, oh yeah. Weird. It's a weird. We didn't even talk about how the Bond soundtrack, um, the opening song, is just instrumental. Cool. Mm -hmm. Again, we went back to that, which is full of references to the previous films we also didn't talk about how when bond the only time in the series where bond goes to his office oh yeah I think yeah he goes to his office in the reboot series but like but he, brings... he he has all these things that he shouldn't even have it's kind of like uh the bat cave where batman has like all of like artifacts or trophies from and a t-rex yeah or a giant two-face coin but like in this you know we get the that knife from what's her name? Dr. No. Dr. No. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Uh, we have the 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 watch from from Russia with love. The watch oh, yeah. that he tried to kill him with. By the way, this watch returned later in uh, a view to a kill in a deleted scene. Really? Yes, because Roger Moore gets like arrested at one point in a deleted scene, and M has to bail him out of jail. And they give him back all his possessions, and they give him the watch, and they're like, what is this? You know, when they pull out this thing you can oh. strangle people with. And Roger is like, well, it's from Russia. With love. No. Yes, that's a deleted scene. You can look that's it up. Horrible. That, that's a little cringy. Yeah, I mean. That's, ho that's horrible for that era, too. It's kind of like from Die Another Day, where... Uh, Oh, like, when so, the jetpack goes yeah, off? Like, yeah, like, so this is where they keep the old relics. Does this still work? And yeah. Oh, that's such a terrible scene, too. Um, but I think here it works, just because it's the first time we have a new actor and they had to make sure this is the same character, the audience has to get it. Yeah, I, I get it. But, like, it's for the dumb people. I will yeah. say, like... I mean, I enjoy this film. Like, uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, I won't say it's like the best Bond film, but uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I love the skiing scene, like especially with that. Oh score. yeah, this this is. We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there were some mm -hmm. things I wanted to talk about with that. So Bond gets captured basically by Blofeld. They have their reveal. Uh, and which is also different from the book. Which is different. The book has an intense scene. It's one of my favorite parts of the book where they capture another MI6 agent. Mm -hmm. And Sir Hilary Bray, is he was either there or he's brought in, and the agent recognizes him as Bond and, like, says his name. Oh, yeah. And that is, that is the freakiest, like, it's one of the most uncomfortable scenes from, like, oh, God. I mean, it's the most uncomfortable scene from that book. Um... In, in a series where there's always an uncomfortable scene that usually involves mm -hmm. Bond being horribly tortured, which this is a form of torture because he can't save this guy and he knows this guy. They kill him, which in the book, we, we don't know who that is. Like I remember on this rewatch, I'm like, did they put Felix lighter in this film? Oh, you think that because we just see him occasionally, like just standing yeah. there, which they did a lot with Felix. And Felix got recast so many. He got recast basically every film. But you know what? They didn't explicitly say it in the movie. I think that's one of Draco's men. Because we see him before. When Bond is getting the documents out of this Swiss guy's office. When he learns, okay, Blofeld is posing as the Count. And, you know, that's he puts right. the suitcase. I, I forgot about that, yeah. And we saw this guy... At this point already, and then he's also he's also in Switzerland. I think he's specifically there to look after Bond, but yes. maybe also because of Tracy, because she's also there. That's right, she is there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. We don't know that yet. Oh yeah, in the book we did know at this point because Bond was thinking, okay, I'm going to Pitts Gloria, which is fine because Tracy is on rehab or something. Yeah, uh, she's she's in like. Yeah, she's she's getting better because that's one of his um, things in the book is that she needs therapy if he's going to marry her. Not just that he needs to to have sex with her and dominate her <laughs> like in the movie. It's a great line, though. 
It's so terrible. It's it's also it's, weird. Just like here, here's a million dollars. Take my daughter, please. You know. Yeah. I mean, he just said, "No, I don't need money." Yeah, which, uh, which was admirable. Yes. In the book where Bond really doesn't like having money, hmm? but um, we get so so Bond escapes, which is a pretty cool set piece with him climbing on the um, the. Uh, the gond- the tram or the gondola? Yeah, uh, um, that's that's a pretty cool scene. He, in the book, he punches a dude with his Rolex and kills him. That's a good one. He's literally like, "This is such a good watch, but I, I need it for this." And he wears his brass knuckles and punches a dude in the temple and kills him and breaks the watch. Because that's a whole intense scene when he escapes because he doesn't have the proper gear. Hmm. He's he's skiing without like a coat or something like that. It's hmm. like he's exposed to the elements and he's like freezing. He, what for? First of all, in the movie they they take elements from the one ski chase. That's in the yeah, book. I was about to they say. break it into two, which are two excellent set pieces, which shaped most of Roger Moore's films to come. Because man, they got they got hung up on on ski chases in those movies. Yeah, I was gonna say, and I think Lazenby is the master of one-legged skiing. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? Yeah, that's that's fun. Okay, I have to say though, as much as okay, I'm glad we're talking about this because after rewatching this, it kind of made me chuckle a little bit. Um, Are you talking the, about the close-up blue screens? Uh, no. Um, that, that, I always forget they do things like that when the skiing happens. I did notice that though, but I was just uh, <laughs> the the chase is great, and I love the score that we got with it. But the thing that kind of made me chuckle is they kind of had like some type of Looney Tunes like effects with it. Like where he's trying to steal one guy's skis and he tries to hit him with his other skis. He ended up knocking him off a cliff and we get the most, you know, prolonged Wiley Coyote like oh death. I was like, and, and cut and cut. And we're just like looking at our watches like. And, he, the, and, <laughs> and they keep cutting to other shots and they threw a dummy off that cliff and they were really proud yeah. of it. Yeah, it's, it just kind of made me laugh that he was just trying to steal the s- skis and he ends up knocking the guy off the cliff. Like he home runs him off the cliff. Yeah. And, I, and Bob was like, oh. Then he, he gets it right the second time, but I just thought it was just like. But when he starts strangling that guy with the ski forever, this movie just like, it's just like so new Hollywood, which just groveling. It's like wallowing in death. <laughs> Like, like people are dying horribly. Like he's just slowly that they're struggling. And he's just pressing the ski into the dude's throat. It's like, dang. or my my personal favorite from that is there's three people directly following Bond, and one flies into a tree, and the main guy says, "Idiot!" And I, then yeah, yeah, into the tree. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just like idiot. <laughs> that made me laugh too. <laughs> also, I love that these movies have people skiing with machine guns and no poles. No, I kind of want you to take that whole scene, speed it up, and put it to the Benny Hill theme music. That oh, would be- <laughs> yeah. it's probably been done. Probably. Um, 
But oh, yeah, that scene oh. is so great. Yeah. But that's not even like the most like uh, extreme death that I've seen. Like um, there's like this one scene with Tracy, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we want to talk about that because that's from the book. I will say though that like that ski chasing scene, like near the end where he makes it to that town, like that was probably like some of the best suspense I've seen. In a oh long yeah, time. yeah. Uh, the only thing that doesn't work for me is that Bond's really beaten up, and they make clear that he's he he's not in any shape to fight these people. Like I and in the book, he stabbed a dude with his ski pole, which is a pretty graphic scene. I mean, I mean, we'll get to it now. Someone falls into a like a. a snowblower or something like that or like a some sort of wood chipper-esque thing and gets mashed up which they end up using later when tracy and bond are skiing together which is kind of a dumb scene except for that i'm glad they put that one thing in yeah he uh and lasnby said something like he made some type of pun i can't remember what he said um that's gonna bother me now but like he was pretty gutsy that's it yeah yeah, yeah it's it's fucking awful and yeah, yeah, it's getting explicit tag. We've been talking about sex for <laughs> for most of this. But I just want to mention when Bond gets into this town, I love Lazenby's face when he walks right into this giant beer thing. Oh, the bear? Yeah. The bear. That He's thing... like... Yeah, that thing's scary. I freak out. He gets like nearly mauled by a furry with a camera. That also reminds me, we forgot to bring this up, but when Bond is captured in the film, like he kind of makes a similar face when he, he goes to that one girl's room and then Irma um, Bunt is in it. And, and he's just, just like, he's like, fancy meeting you here for all like, and just knocks out. It's like, I mean, that, like, uh, it was just like, it happened so fast. It was just like, you know, his reaction to it was pretty priceless. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. But he he like I can't so in the in the book is it close to New Year or is it close to Christmas? Um, I think it's close to New Year. I don't because they're that. having a party and he sneaks into it for cover, and that's when he runs into Tracy, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful scene. But in the movie, she's ice skating. It's the perfect composition. Um. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of when she shows up and then she saves him. Yeah. Which is pretty nice. Which I love. She's driving. Bond is in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. And she's driving through this race thing that you're having. Oh yeah, they're they're track racing in the snow, which makes no sense to me and sounds incredibly dangerous. It is dangerous, as we see later on. But she's driving and she looks so like into it and happy. Yeah, <laughs> which was amazing just watching Diana Rick's face when she does it. Yeah, she's having a good time. Yeah, um, and they're being chased by Irma Bunt and uh, a bunch of the henchmen in the yeah. car. Which in the book, she's not in the car because the car goes off a cliff because they, mm -hmm. they flip a Looney Tunes and change the sign. And oh yeah, rope construction and fall to their deaths. Bond using his brain, exactly. But, 
But in that scene, he's basically Bugs Bunny in this story. <laughs> when Bond and the henchmen are chasing after Bond and Tracy, their car explodes at the end. And I wanted to mention this because I noticed it this time. You can see Irma Bund's stunt double getting out of the car yes. when it explodes. And you can see her stunt double getting on fire. And there's like ADR of like Irma Bund, the actress, going like, ah! Which was amazing because I was like, is she on fire? <laughs> but yeah, so, so Bond and Tracy end up hiding in a barn. Bond asks her to marry him. A romantic scene. A romantic. Because we, we needed that in comparison to the book, which I also love in a way, because in the book, Bond sends her away, and he asks her to marry him in, like, where is it? Like, the shittiest place imaginable. Like, like a cafeteria or something? Yes. Which I like, because Bond doesn't give a damn where he proposes to a woman. Well, he, he doesn't spur the moment and doesn't realize why he did it. And that frustrates me. Why mm. even do it? It's so it's so weird. Because when you if you read this book and didn't watch the movie, you would think, oh, he's gonna get out of it. And he's not gonna marry her. Guess what? <laughs> he proposes to her. He sends her away so he can contact M, and M's briefed on Christmas, which is a great scene. Which with uh, and Mary Goodnight's in it. Oh yeah, true. I always, I always love Mary Goodnight. She's a good secretary and plays mm -hmm. a bigger role a couple books later. Um, yeah, but that's something in the book. I wish we would have had in the movie. We get to see M and Bond spending Christmas together. <laughs> Yeah. Which sounds silly, and it is, because the people working for M, they put, like, firecrackers or something on the desk, like, as, as a nice little thing, and M is just annoyed. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention this. This is the only time we go to M's manor. Oh, yeah. Oh, in the film, yeah, too, yeah. And, he, and he's got, like, a butler and everything. and Yeah, which is a friend of his, if you read. In, in the books. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, Which oh, yeah, we get to incur the son. son. Oh, oh, no. That, that was upsetting. <laughs> but yeah, it was a nice different scene, getting to M's house instead of just the office. Yes, um, and his weird butterfly collection. Yeah. Hey, giving M some more personality. Exactly. I'm all for it. Yeah, because, I mean, the only book that really does that is Man with the Golden Gun. Which I don't think was out yet. No, that came later. After yeah. Fleming's death. Yeah. Well, he was dead by now, but, like... I'm trying to remember when Man with the Golden oh, Gun really? came out. I'm trying to think. Let me look it up quick. Yeah, because that's... Okay, so Fleming died in 1964. No. Okay, Man with the Golden Gun was out. Okay. Because it came out like a year after his death, I think. But was Octopus in the Living Daylights out yet? I think so. Okay. They, they came out somewhat close to each other, I think. Okay. All right. 
Yeah, because the seventies has like next to no Bond releases book wise. Um, but anyway, um, in the film, we have another ski chase, which after a dude gets shows his guts, Blofo causes an avalanche that mildly buries Bond and he kidnaps Tracy. Again, different from the book. Different. But, but I think good. I don't. Hmm. Because we get to some weirdness that doesn't seem like Blofeld would do. Okay, I agree with you. Oh, yeah, like he was like trying to seduce Tracy or something. Yeah, it's so weird. And it's like a weird weakness that I don't like Blofeld having. Yeah, because in the books, he's like not sexual at all. No. Like, they even mentioned if he ever had sex, nobody knows it. And the only time he has a relationship is with we can spoil it, Irma Bund, but that's after he's gone batshit crazy? Yes. She's the only one left of Spectres sticking around that isn't part of that dragon gang. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but, in theory, I really like what they do here, that they, you know, keep Tracy in the story. Yeah. They add some urgency for Bond to get to Bits Gloria. Yeah, other than... Because they're not super focused on the threat... Like they are, like say in Thunderball. Thunderball, the movie, mm -hmm. is so dire because, like, it is just focused on trying to find those nukes. Yeah, and here they do it differently. They focus more on you know the characters and the romance, especially, yeah. which I like. I would say it works, and I like I like how they end the story with the you know the virus and the biological weapon when Bond is in Blofeld's office, which is another great set, by the way, and he's, like, taking pictures oh, yes. of Blofeld's map. And when, he's, when he takes these pictures... It says 007 on it. Oh, yeah. Hey, Q. <laughs> Q got to work. But the pictures he makes, what we see, are, like, headshots of all the women mm -hmm. who were in the place, which because is, like, the visual weight of telling us, okay... This girl is here, this girl is here, this girl is here. And they can, you know, get them and stop Because it. in the book, he convinces one of the girls. I, I think he only sleeps with one, the one girl. I don't think he sleeps with two in the book. Maybe. Speaking of which, I... Because he, he, oh, he, he gets her to tell him all their names and where they're from. Oh, yeah, and he writes it down. And that's... He, oh, yeah, I, he writes it in his own uh, secret, you know, stuff. In his pee. <laughs> And then oh, he sends it in. Right. He writes. His... And then the guy who analyzes it is like, okay, we got all the information, by the way, Bond. You should cut back on your alcohol consume. <laughs> I also noticed something that we, in this film, that we uh, don't see in any other film, uh, that from what I remember. Like, we see Lazenby, like, walking down, like, he leaves his office after stealing a giant picture from a Playboy magazine. That oh, was good. Yeah, and he's just like, like holding it way up there, like, hmm. and then he's just like, just like, and we get it. we get full frontal nudity. Yeah, one. This time. is that was similar to like the scene in Doctor No when Bond is uh, waiting in this house and he's playing cards with himself, mm -hmm. and in this case, Lazenby, he tries to crack this safe and he's getting bored, so he just grabs a Playboy magazine. <laughs> 
Well, it's not it's not bad like when Bond uses his Playboy card in the next film. No, this this was a great scene. This is a good yeah. It's funny. It, it, sh- it shows some character. He's just a dude. <laughs> it's just like, this is going in my bedroom, you know? <laughs> and then just takes it out with him. It's such a power move. Um, but but we, we gotta talk about the helicopters. Okay. That's so cool. That's cool in both the book and the movie. The, yeah. He's not going to get help from... M or the government. Yeah. So he government. joins the mafia, basically. Yes. Not the first time in the books that he's done something like this. Uh, what what is that that story called? It's in for your eyes only. Oh, M. Oh yeah. Um, that's gonna bother me now. Was it for your eyes? Risical. Risical. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Which is adapted in uh, For Your Eyes Only, the movie. Yes, because they they adapt most of that book Mm -hmm. into it. Actually, they only adapt adapt about half, I think. Because from A View to a Kill, that part of that story has never been adapted in anything. Mm -hmm. Unless you don't never say never again when Sean Connery uses a motorcycle and drives around, because that's most of what... from a view to a kill is it's just riding a motorcycle. So the scene with the helicopter is like what I was wanting to mention, like with uh, one of the more uh, unorthodox kills was like, we see Tracy killing this guy by shoving him into like, uh, like some spikes. Like Yeah. It's some like, modern art. That's a bunch of nails. Nailed to I know. I'm just like, I first I thought I was like, is that supposed to be like a back scratcher or something like that? <laughs> but, yeah. I, is this supposed to be a flat porcupine? I don't know. It's like, but, I mean, but she fights with that guy for a while. It's pretty good. But yeah. like, like bond. Well, um, Draco's like, we're the red cross. We're going, we're helping some people out in Italy. I think is what it, where they're going. Alleged that's the cover. They go in, they kill a bunch of they kill pretty much annihilate Spectre. Yep. <laughs> in the book, it's it's more brutal. Like a bunch of of uh, Draco's men die, as I recall. But they pretty much and kill Spectre. It's left up to. Interpretation if Blofeld and Irma Bunt died in the book, oh, yeah, because they are not sure, but yeah. one sees um Blofeld escape, yeah, he only sees them. That's the thing in the book where they don't meet face to face as like Bond and Blofeld, they only interacted with each other in like their own covers as like the Count and Hilary Bray, yeah, yeah. And then we get the scene with Blofeld where he gets like. Um, hung by a tree, like on that bobsled. Thing. Oh yeah, that's so. That the bobsled chase is pretty cool. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great set piece. Yeah, yeah. It's just like um, oh, that's the longest grenade I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> yeah, and it's like he's still like after like he pulled the pin. Like normally grenades like go off like a few seconds, but he's still like holding it. Like he's like ready, almost, almost hey. now. And you know, I'm just like do that grenade should have went off like five seconds ago <laughs> well he pulls the pin out without even depressing the thing 
it's a pineapple. Like that's not how they work. And and then we get that one weird line from Bond that said, like, you know, he's a little branched up, you know. Oh, Which was yeah. also ADR. Yes. Well, it had to be. Yeah. You know, and it's weird because um, we get three different deaths of blow or deaths, I'd say, of blow fates. I should probably say a blow felt with this story. Like, um, like in the book, you know, he, he escapes in the in the film, like, you know, Bond assumes he's dead. But in the video game, like 007 Legends, where they uh, use Daniel Craig, you know, his face and voice with this story, like he throws Blofeld out of uh, like one of those gondolas or trams and um, he just says like eh, I think he's dead but he doesn't actually just like look down there to see if he actually hit the like died like he's just like eh, I think he's dead <laughs> oh god is that how that goes yeah he calls M right as soon as he throws Blofeld out of the tram and just says oh, like oh that's so dumb oh my, then, oh my god oh my god what they should have done is like a Michael Myers shot in like Halloween Bond looks down. <laughs> Blofeld lies in the snow. He calls him, then he looks down again. You hear that? <laughs> but we we gotta get to the the wedding. Oh yeah. Wait, yeah. first I wanted to mention a little bit more about Blofeld here. So they had to give him an end here because they couldn't do like um like like it was in the book that they don't really meet each other. Yeah, as like themselves. So they break his neck. In a way, in that scene with the tree, yeah. And I guess Blow Bond assumes Blofeld is dead mm-hmm. because well, that's a safe assumption because that would have yeah. killed a normal human being. Yeah, they don't retrieve his body. I guess they just leave him in the snow, which is great. And we see him, this Blofeld again in For Your Eyes Only. Oh, yeah. Specifically. Not the same actor, but you know, oh. with the yes, oh, where he's like all punny and everything. He's like, he's like, goodbye, Mister Bond. I hope you had a good fright. In this... Yeah, and he has like the neck brace on. <laughs> he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, and like yeah. he's he's like he oh. also broke his leg somehow in between. Well, I thought that the branch may have paralyzed them or something like that's why. Oh, he because was... he's driving. Uh, he doesn't need functioning functioning legs for that. That would have been a quad. That would be funny watching Majesties now with the assumption that he's like, (laughs) that he can't move his legs at the end. If he injured himself and he broke his neck, it's a really easy. Well, first of all, it's more likely he'd die. Yeah. If if he's going to survive, he'd be a quadriplegic. So, like, he wouldn't have arm function either. But this is. Maybe that's why Irma Bund at the end is doing all the stuff. Or a bunt sitting in the back with the machine gun. That's like it doesn't make. <laughs> Which was, by the way, this I know this is a change from the book, but seeing Irma Bunt with a machine gun with an AR is like the most amazing thing. Like going out the window, she's like, yeah. "Yep." <laughs> so, so uh, let, let's get to the wedding and the final scene. Yeah, yeah, the wedding's interesting. We get to we get Draco and M talking. Yeah, we get Bond and Tracy's dads, basically. Yeah, and and they're discussing, like, oh, they're near misses with one another, which is kind of fun. We get cues like, oh, you weren't so bad. Uh, But the one scene that I'm really, once again, 
wish Conry was there. Is Money uh, Penny? Yeah, and with the the hat. Look yeah. at one another, and it just doesn't work with Lazenby because this is his first movie, and we don't really have that establishment. Yeah, like, it, it, it would have helped, but I still think it's good. It's so good. I would also I would also like to point out: Is this the last time we see Bond with the hat? Because that yeah. would be a great send-off for that. I, I don't know if he's wearing the hat in Diamonds Are Forever. I don't think so. I, I think in the uh, Gun Barrel, with, because that was already used in like a previous uh, Connery film. It's the it's the uh, the Gun Barrel from Thunderball and. Yeah. Uh, but I think this might be the last time where he you know he throws the hat. This old classic gag. I think that's yeah, a good send-off for that joke. Yeah, because Roger Moore doesn't have a, ever wear the hat. Because that wasn't a 70s thing. That was a leftover from like the 40s, the 30s and 40s. And I, say, I think Lazenby is the very last Bond to wear a hat. Like, I don't remember Dalton wearing a hat at all either, or Brosnan. Oh. He was wearing one in a deleted scene of License to Kill, which we can talk about because it looks amazing. He was wearing a hat similar to like yours, Adam. Oh, really? Yeah, and it, looks, it, it looked extremely silly on him. <laughs> it's not like the rodeo. Dalton uh, drawing in the book I I was uh, showing you all. Honestly, it doesn't. It does, that doesn't surprise me. He was wearing a tuxedo to a carnival in Living Daylight, so hey, that worked. <laughs> Not saying it didn't work. I'm just saying it, it, you because know. it's Dalton. If it were anyone else, it wouldn't work. But for some reason, that works. But we get uh, one of the the saddest things to happen in this entire series which is bond's wife dies yeah tracy gets gunned down in a car accident well in the book they get in a car accident in the movie they're they're stopped yeah Yeah, he stops to get her like a flower or something i think from the car um he wants to get the flowers off because he's like oh that's right yeah that yeah, and it makes me sad. Like you hear, like and say, like now we have all the time in the world, and you know, Trace is like, you gave me hope or something, and then not five seconds later, she dies. I'm like, oh, and he's like, let's blow him. We gotta go get, her, go after him, and she's dead. Yeah, and that's a great shot, by the way, when you see that one gunshot going through the window, right in the head, and the blood, and right the in the head, and it's barely not an R rating. Yeah, just barely. And then we get Lazenby's reaction, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Like I think yes. that's that may be his best acting scene. Yes, it's absolutely. Yeah. Which I want to point out. I think Lazenby even said he read the book during you know the filming of this scene just to get in the mood and get it correct. And there's like one take where he actually cried a little bit, but they said, "Don't doesn't cry. Don't do it." It would have been the perfect time, though. Yeah. In the book, he doesn't cry. No, in the book, he's completely in shock. Yes, and, and he's found. They find him like way later, like some highway patrol, because it's on the autobahn in the book, mm-hmm. a place that someday Noah, I will visit you, and we will ship my car because I will not drive your car on the autobahn. I was going to say, <laughs> I was li- my my sports car. And, I heard and that scene. I heard that scene in an audiobook of this uh, on our match secret service. And normally I like the narrator, like his portrayal of the characters, especially bond and everything. But I did not like that scene because like he made David Tennant. 
No, it's not David Tennant. Because David Tennant does the current audiobook, and I don't like how he did that scene either. That's no, not it's not. It's not a uh, David Tennant. Um, but you know, he reads it off like you know, he's like, "Oh, yeah, it's all right." You know, she's just resting. You know, I'm like, no. <laughs> like Bond's like distraught over what happened, and he was just pleasant, just like, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, had another girlfriend or woman in my life die." So you know, I'm just like, "No, come on." I didn't like the portrayal of that. But it's just that scene, like both and the book and the film was like very emotionally powerful. And it was just, it was the like one thing that ruins that scene in the movie. You start playing the bond theme immediately. Yeah. Which I have been told the idea is like, okay, we have the sad moment and then the bond theme kicks in to be like, but he will be back and he will get his revenge. Yeah. We will get to that. But it doesn't work because it cuts to it way too quickly. It's on like really a, on a freeze frame of her dead corpse. Yeah. Da, 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 da. You will like return in diamonds are forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. So if I can change one thing about this movie, like we have talked a bit about you know little flaws, but overall I love this film. It's in my top five, definitely. Yeah, I enjoy if it. If I can but if I can change just one thing just play like we have all the time in the world over the end credits. Like the orchestral version of it. Yeah, that would be nice. Like a minor key. That would be that would be what they do now. Yeah. Because because the Bond movies are just emo movies now. Yeah, but here it would have worked. We didn't even talk about uh, you know, all the time in the world. Oh, Louis Armstrong. It's a great song that plays during the montage of... uh, Bond and Tracy falling in love, and it it shows up periodically. This uh, Adams said it right. This is this is the most sixties of all the Bonds. All the Bond scores is super kind of psychedelic sounding a little bit, but it's really good. I have this. They did a reissue of the vinyl. It's so good on vinyl. Um, but. I'm not a big fan of the novel of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Controversially. Controversially. I think Fleming lost touch with what made Bond Bond. See, I would say he was evolving as like an author because you have to keep in mind the Bond books very much reflect his own life and what he was going through. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find interesting, definitely. Especially with, like, You Only Live Twice, which he wrote, you know, he, I'm pretty sure he knew, like, his time was up. Yeah. It's just, like, it's this weird interlude where he wrote three books that I don't think are particularly good. One's awful. It's called The Spy Who Loved Me. I, I will somewhat it. defend it, but, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, his, it's his worst. I have a story about... Uh, that that I'll get into once because uh, I want to <laughs> can I go ahead and tell it? It's kind of funny. Yes. Okay, so uh, whenever uh, they, they Noah and Jeremy first started their podcast I asked specifically if I could come on for this book and movie discussion because I do love Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Like Noah, it's one of my favorite Bond films. So I, you know, power read through most of this series, but the most cringeworthy adventure was I had to, 
I read The Spy Who Loved Me in a day. And, and I don't it, know how you did it. Uh, I'll tell you how I did it. It was an it was an audiobook because I was I I thought I was in Florida uh, with my family take uh, on a vacation and I was before um, you mentioned uh, earlier that you know you were in the middle of moving different houses before we had to uh, push back the release date of this episode. Um, so I thought like, oh man, I got to get both these books read by next week. So I sat through like an eight hour or six to eight hour plane ride listening to The Spy Who Loved Me. And I'm just like. It's one of the shortest books, but it feels the longest. Even the audio book is just not good. Um, it yeah. was it was the most. And, you know, just if you guys remember what it feels like to like sit on an airplane and listen to headphones and then take them off to hear like the the muffled, you know, distortion of the airplane. Just like, I was like, it was like, it was definitely uh, one of the more uncomfortable experiences reading a bond book. I'm like, I, I, I power powered through that book just so I can start honor majesty secret service. And I started well, it the very next day after I got back from vacation. Yeah. Most of these books I would do in a day. Cause I used to do, I used to be a DoorDash driver. Mm-hmm. That's how I got into these books and listening to them. I just kept buying Audible credits. <laughs> and by the time we started doing Live and Let's Discuss, I think I was on Thunderball. Mm-hmm. I was either on Thunderball or For Your Eyes Only. And then I was like, I hadn't started The Spy Who Loved Me before. I was like, we, you need to get through all of these, Adam. <laughs> but I think I remember uh, messaging you guys on our Marco Polo chat. I'm just like, hey, I think I'm about to start the spy who loved me. And I remember Noah being extremely excited about that. <laughs> I was just like, I can't wait to hear how, what you think about it. Which Afterwards. We, I'm just like, mm-hmm. I hate this. Book. But we couldn't say anything because Matthew is still on. Oh God. Where is Matthew? He finished diamonds are forever. He still oh. needs from Russia with love. I think he keeps reading those terrible star Wars books, those <laughs> but terrible can... star Wars books. He doesn't like, I can't, I can't stress that enough. People. But I but I can't help but wonder if, like, whenever the day I mentioned, yeah, I'm going to start reading uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. I'm going to try to finish it soon. I'm wondering if, like, after I got off that chat, uh, Noah was like... <laughs> I think I told you it was bad. I think I warned you. Yeah, you did, actually. You are just like... Because uh, I, I, Noah was like, it's very different. That's pretty much all I got. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is so horrible. And we'll get to it more when we actually review Spy Who Loved Me, which that's going to be a... a it's going to be two different discussions about a book and a movie that have nothing to do with each other. But we also have a novelization for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so convoluted. I keep thinking about that and Moonraker is the same sort of deal. Which I was glad to... I actually found that novelization for you, Noah. I think that was like the last book that you needed, and everywhere oh, else, yeah. everywhere else sold it for online for like, like even the cheapest book that you could find on eBay or something that was like fifty dollars shipping, and mm-hmm. I I found it for like three bucks, <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, yeah, it like we dodged a bullet there. But because um, I have I have both printings of the novel, the Christopher Wood novelization of Spy You Love Me. But I couldn't give one of those to to Noah because the pages fell out. It's missing pages. <laughs> I just 
that was the first one I got, and it literally was disintegrating when I opened it, so I had to buy another one. So I think I have both either two of the same cover of Moonraker's novelization or I have one of each of those two, which is weird for me because I, I like to collect Bond covers. As far as covers go, I have the ugliest. And Noah, I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me that was just like, I wonder if he'll notice if I switched him. I'm like, no, no, he, he'd want the nicer cover. So <laughs> I was halfway tempted, like, no, no, I can't do it. I can't do Are it. Are you talking to the one that's just Roger Moore's face? Yeah. And he's like a white background. Yeah, the, looks- yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, was the only copy I could find online. That's oh, why right. I was so surprised when I found, you know, when your copy arrived. And mm. it was like, that's a great cover. Yeah, that's, like, the I didn't cover, even know that's, it existed. that's the cover I bought that was missing pages. And then more pages fell out of it. So I got the other one. Yeah, I was halfway tempted to uh, just trade him. Like, he won't. He won't. And I'm like, nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't it's do such it. a strange cover. It's just Roger Muller. <laughs> it's not even from, I don't even know if it's from that movie. I don't think so. Isn't that his pose in, like, Man with the Golden Gun? Yeah, he looks too young. Here, I'll grab it. Because, so let... I mean, we can get into a little bit. Roger Moore did Bond for so long that, like, there are different phases of Roger Moore's look. Yeah. There he is. That, That looks like from Man with the Golden Gun. Because Roger Moore looks young in the uh, Live and Let Die. And uh, Man with the Golden Gun, I would say, which is weird because he was actually older than Connery when Connery yeah, left. That was the point. Yeah. He was continuously aging, which, oh, we didn't even mention George Lazenby is the youngest person to play Bond. Mm-hmm. He's actually the correct age to play Bond in like, a Casino Royale. Yeah, because wasn't Bond like in his 30s? Yes, and by the time we get to like, like this book, Honor Majesties, he's got to be in his forties. Which it gets really weird when you get to a blast from the past, the the Raymond Benson <laughs> story, where he he's like in his he acts like he's in his sixties, in his fifties or sixties, he's banging a nineteen year old. And then he ends with banging a 40-year-old who has the uh, body of a 25-year-old. And she like pulls her boobs out and says, bon appetit, and sticks his boob in his mouth. We have to keep mentioning that short story. That well, short story is, was written for Playboy, by the way. Which excuses a little bit of it. It has Irma Bunt in it. It's her demise. Yeah, that mice because you only live twice wasn't enough. Yeah, so she's she, like Palpatine. She she's is. Life getting blown <laughs> and, and she's like all melted and gross and wears a mask. And yes. she so, so oh yeah, uh, Bond ha- fathers a child with Kissy, and just never was around for that child. He has like a he has a son, Adam, in that story, and his son's poisoned and dies a horrible death. Mm. Oh yeah! Oh and yeah! He, because Adam, you just um, you haven't read Men with the Golden Gun, but you have read You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Where yeah. at the end, this is talked about that Kissy is pregnant with Bond's child. Yeah. So, in just in case you were thinking, oh, I wonder if any other books ever touch this again. Just what? that short story, at least as far as we know, that's the only time. And then, like on top of that, 
we find out that Kissy died of cancer. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. Although it's one of the few times you actually find out what the fate of a Bond girl after the fact. Yeah, except for like Tracy. Yeah, yeah that's, you don't normally I like. Mean, I mean, you figure um, in Trigger Mortis, uh, Pussy Galore's in that for the first half. And it was nearly sacrificed at Stonehenge, according to Noah. I have not read that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's really strange. It makes me wonder about. Um, we can actually trans trans um, transition into this. Uh, Anthony Howowitz, the current Bond author, his third Bond book is a sequel to Man with the Golden Gun. Which Adam, he his first one, Trigger Mortis, is between Goldfinger and For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. And the first, his second book, Forever in a Day, is a prequel to Casino Royale. Oh, okay. He's written all over the place. Yeah, before, and, in the middle, and after the Fleming books. Yeah, so I'm wondering. I'm I'm a little worried. I always get a little worried that it's going to contradict Colonel Sun. Which I think I have heard that Horowitz is a fan of Colonel Sun, but I, I think he. But I think he also said, "I'm not going to mention it. Like I'm not going to go, you know, direct continuity." But he might try not too directly contradicted, at least. I hope it just happens before Colonel Sun. Yeah, positive. It's a year between Man with the Golden Gun and Colonel Sun, correct? I think that's what... I, I, I think so. They say, like, last summer when he got shot by Scaramanga. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> For Adam. Oh, that's okay. I. That's, that's not a spoiler. Always... A bad guy shoots at him. I don't, I don't say when this happened in the story or if it's important uh... even. That's true. That's true. It isn't the beginning. The beginning is like the most important part of that book, which is weird to think about, but like it's 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 the best part. Like yeah. would have made a great uh, pre-title sequence. God, can you imagine like a new Bond like... actor coming in with that scene? No, I was thinking, can you imagine if Roger Moore? Mm. That would have been interesting. I don't know if he could pull it off. I don't know. I could see Connery doing it. Hmm. That would have been interesting. I don't know. I know Dalton could have done it. Oh, definitely. And they tried to kind of do that with Die Another Day and gave up. (laughs) Remember when Bond is tortured by the CGI scorpions? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, while, while uh, Madonna's worst song she's ever written mm-hmm. plays in the background. Okay. Adam, right. I see. It's time for him. Time? Yeah. So time I think him. we can wrap this up. All right. Okay. Um, so I can just say I love the book. Definitely. I think I like the movie even more. No way. Like I said, it it adds a lot. Especially to the love story. Because this is more or less the first big like romance plot. Mm -hmm. I think the only other one we have is like well, a little bit The Living Daylights. Definitely. And Casino Royale. And I think this one still is the best in terms of, you know. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 
it's definitely one of my favorite films. I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorite books, but I do. I did like the book. Um, uh, and like we said, you know, it really, uh, as far as like how Bond films, you know, like they um, they take after the book. This one, you know, did the most justice uh, compared to. Um, I mean, I think the second closest would be well, sort of. Well, never mind. I was going to say Goldfinger, but there's quite a bit of differences in Goldfinger. Um, Obviously, the, the most accurate post diamonds are forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I just rewatched that and it's like, ugh. yeah, what yeah. a great sequel to this oh. masterpiece. Oh god, I have to watch that. Like, not tomorrow because we're going to be. Uh, uh, join us on Paper Movies when we discuss License to Kill by John Gardner. That's going to be fun. That is going to be really fun. I'm almost done with that. <laughs> Me too. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the movie's fine. It's a weird broad movie. <laughs> that you can definitely check out. The book is not my thing. It's I, I'm not a fan of Fleming's writing in this era. Um, I, there are far better Bond books, but for many, this is considered like the best. This is his most critically acclaimed work, so you should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, hope you all have a good one. I'm glad to be back in the saddle with y'all. And Thanks for join- having me on. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Join us next time as we dive into Sean Connery's return in Diamonds Are Forever.